things I want to teach tonight, they are very simple and basic. But unless God reveals them, you can't know them. They are the foundation of Christian living. You know, the subject we are considering is supposed to be our natural reality. But when you look at the church today, we are disconnected from it. And so I began telling you yesterday that when men meet you, they are not supposed to ask you, who are you? Because that's the question you ask ordinary men. When men meet you, they are supposed to ask you, what are you? When they begin to ask you, who are you? It means they can't see the glory on your life. The psalmist said in Psalm 8 from verse 4, it said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. And so a man who is walking in glory and honor, you don't ask him, who are you? You ask him, what are you? And it's not a premeditated question. That is the reality. And so I began yesterday by reading for us Matthew chapter 8 verse 37. And they looked at Jesus and they said, What manner of man is this? That even the wind and the waves are subject to him. There is a dimension your life begins to manifest. That it becomes an error to say, who are you? Matthew 8, 27. Men will naturally ask, what are you? And I said, when you start teaching like this, people will assume church nowadays is just to excite people. Make them feel happy. And they still go back to their problem. Because we have failed to host and to manifest the dimensions that we are called to represent. That was why I took time yesterday to delve into the Old Testament to give us background. And I was not even able to explain the concept before the presence of God became so heavy here. But I will try to route that part again in order to explain some of the things I want to explain. So that you know that Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is not a group of people gathering themselves together and just calling upon the name of a God that they don't know. Hoping something will happen. That's not Christianity. Christianity is divinity expressed through humanity. Christianity is God revealing himself through a human vessel. Christianity is the ability to put God on display. Why you are a channel through which God can be accessed. If we don't function at that level, then we have not known what we have been called into. Those of us who have been given the privilege by God to live after the resurrection are supposed to be the climax of the manifestations of God. But when you look at our lives today, it looks as if those who came before Jesus came even operated these dimensions greater than we have ever imagined. And that was why I took us back a little, mentioning a few men that walked many years, many generations before Jesus came. They didn't even know what God's plan is. They just encountered God and began to walk out terrible dimensions of God that in today's world looks like an impossibility. Meanwhile, these men just came to prepare the ground for what we are expected to manifest. I spoke to us yesterday about Moses. Moses literally walked like a god on the face of the earth. 
without the Holy Ghost resident on his inside. The Bible spoke about Moses. He carried a staff. Just a staff. What you will call a walking aid. And he entered the strongest civilization of the world. That civilization had the strongest economic structure. The strongest military structure. The strongest religious structure. Because the wise men of Pharaoh, they were not theologians. They were men who were capable of walking signs and wonders. Moses came in with a staff and brought down the strongest civilization known in his age. And he delivered over 5 million people. Walked out of a nation. 5 million people followed him. The question you ask him is, even if you have the power to subdue Egypt, what are you thinking in your head? How do you sustain 5 million people? Where will they sleep? What will they eat? How do you protect them from wild animals, from diseases, and from bandits? What is going on in your head? The man walked into Egypt as an individual, manifested God through 10 plagues, shut down the strongest monarch of the then world, and walked out with 5 million men at night. And the first thing he confronted was a sea. Even if you have technology of boat, which boat can carry 5 million people? Whereas there were no boats in those times. And Moses will part a river. And a river divides into two. One side standing like ice block. Another one standing like ice block. And carry five million men walking through that water. And crossing over to the other side. As if nothing happened. The Egyptian thought it was a sudden change in weather. When they entered, the river swallowed them up. Because it was a man keeping that instant. And then you came to confess the God of that man. And your life is like this. Something is wrong. The Bible said when they walked through the wilderness, they didn't notice the heat. Because in the daytime when the heat was strong, the glory of God covered them like a cloud. And that glory of God also went ahead of them and led them. So the compass they were using for navigation was the glory of God. They were followed. Imagine if 5 million people are walking into your country. And a cloud, a pillar of cloud like a tornado is leading them into your village. I assure you, everybody will run into hiding. That was how they moved for 40 years. And when it was night, they didn't need torch. The glory of God stood before them like a tower. That glory of God was what saved them from the cold of the night. And it was what gave them light for navigation. Stood like a rod, like a tower. Enough to provide light for over 5 million people. And to make things more supernatural. He said their clothes grew with them. Their sandals grew with them. And he said there was no one feeble among their tribe. Everybody was as strong as a warrior. As strong as a warrior. When they sin and sickness attacks them. Moses goes to God and treats God. And comes back with a technology. That engendered healing. And then repentance follows. Serpents came into their camp Biting them And Moses entered into God And devised a technology That is more potent than everything we know in medicine today He designed a brazen serpent Hung it on a staff And told 5 million people If snakes like they shall bite you from morning to night Look up there No poison can kill you And 5 million people will look at a serpent 
what does looking at a, a brazen serpent have to do with poison coming out of your body? Whereas we are still struggling with healing till today. And these guys didn't need to pray. Just look there. If you see it, you are cleansed. And I told you yesterday, when you assume God is doing what he's doing with Moses because 5 million people followed him, then an individual came up called Elijah the Tishbite. He said, Moses, God parted water. God doesn't do something once. Everything God does becomes a precedent. And if God parted the water before, he can part it again. And what God did for more than 5 million people, Elijah strode to the Jordan. The without prayer carried this man to stroke the water. The water parted. And Elijah crossed. He was not surprised. Where are you learning these things from? That's the question you should ask him. And when you think God did it for two people, Elijah wanted to come back and he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And what God did for five million, he did for two. Now God is doing for one man. And he parted the water and crossed. When you start hearing what God did with those men, you will now ask yourself, are we living a life of the spirit or we are religious people? Because these men didn't know religion. They only understood spirit life. And so their life was a wonder to their generation. When the king was looking for Elijah, Obadiah told him, when he met him, Please, he told Obadiah, go and tell the king I'm waiting. And Obadiah said, I will not go anywhere. I know you. If I move from here, the spirit of the Lord, like a whirlwind, will carry you. So they knew Elijah, that professionally, he doesn't travel with horses. Elijah traveled by whirlwind. And when he was ultimately carried to heaven, it was the same whirlwind that teleported him to Zion. And these were the normal lives they were living. The rapture you and I are waiting for. Enoch has raptured. Elijah has raptured. The question you now ask is, who are we supposed to be? What did God call us into? And I will tell you why you are supposed to ask, ask that question. Which is where I will start my teaching from tonight. Hmm. In Matthew chapter 11 verse 11. Jesus made a striking statement. Which is where the foundation of Christianity began to find expression from. He said of all men born of a woman. Of all men born of women. He said they had not risen a greater than John the Baptist. He said notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus began to summarize the life of Moses. Began to summarize the life of Elijah. Began to summarize the life of Abraham and all the wonder workers of the Old Testament. He said none of them has more rank in the realm of God like John the Baptist. The first question you want to ask is, who is John the Baptist? And why would John the Baptist have more rank than a man who has the capacity like Moses to shut down a civilization? The whole civilization of the world today derived their foundational principles from the laws of Moses. So Moses did not just destroy Egypt. Moses is the father of modern day civilization. Every law of morality that governs civilizations today and the nations of the world have their derivative from the laws of Moses. Elijah was a man who cut down fire, literal fire from heaven. Elijah was a man who traveled by whirlwind. 
Elijah could pack the water to walk through and Elijah didn't die. He teleported to heaven. What was about John that would make God say, John is greater than all of them? I will tell you why. And the reason I'm explaining this is because I am building you to a place so that you understand what a Christian is. Because you don't know what you are. If you know what you are, your life will be an endless stream of wonders, signs, and miracles. If John is greater than Moses, if John is greater than Elijah, who is John? When you study the dispensations of God, from Genesis to Revelation, only members of the Trinity have the right to announce the dispensation. When the dispensation of the Father began, in Genesis chapter 1, it was the Father that opened it. He said, God made the heavens and the earth. And God said, let us make man. So everything about the first dispensation of God was ordained by the Father. When the dispensation of the Father ended, the dispensation of the Son was supposed to begin. And when the dispensation of the Son was supposed to begin, you expect that another member of the Godhead will announce the dispensation of the Son. I'm trying to tell you why John became so relevant. Because no matter is permitted to open up a dispensation. Remember, when the rapture is about to happen, it is the Son that will still come back with a shout and open up that dispensation. It is the Godhead that opens dispensations. The father opened the first dispensation of his dealing with man. When rapture is about to take place, for the final dispensation to take place, God the Son will come back from heaven. He said he will descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, to open that dispensation. But something happened when the son's dispensation was about to be announced. A man showed up from the wilderness and said, prepare a way for the Lord. For the first time, a man was given a privilege that belong only to the Godhead. And John became the mortal man that opened the door for the second dispensation to happen. If John didn't speak, Jesus would not have been born. The Bible called him a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. So the father announced his dispensation, the son announced the dispensation of the spirit, but John the Baptist announced the dispensation of the son. And so he was introduced and brought into an economy that only the Godhead had the authority to announce. And that is why every time Jesus' ministry is challenged, he traces them to John. He said, John said, and they could not doubt John. The Bible said, if they do, they will stone them because they know John is a prophet. And so the father announced his dispensation, the son announced the dispensation of the spirit, but John the Baptist announced the dispensation of the son. And so everything, every prophet said in the Old Testament, gathered together, he was the summation of the prophets in touching the opening of the dispensation of the son. If John didn't speak, the prophecy of Elijah would have been wasted. The prophecy of Elisha would have been wasted. The prophecy of Malachi would have been wasted. Everything they spoke about the coming of the Messiah, he was the one who opened the door. And so as far as God is concerned, all of their manifestation was a build up to the one who ultimately ushered the son and brought his dispensation into bear. This is why 
their manifestation could not be superior to John. But that is not my emphasis. Jesus now made a statement. He said, the kingdom that I have brought, he said, the least person that is in that kingdom is greater than the greatest person that is in the kingdom that was before this kingdom I'm bringing. And the question is, you now look at yourself. You can't even imagine what Moses has done. You can't even imagine what Elijah has done. You can't even imagine what Enoch has done. And so it's either because you don't know what you are, or you are not what you say you are. As if that is not enough, Jesus now went further and said something in John 14 verse 12. He said, They that believe, he said, Verily I speak unto you. Can, can you go to John 14 verse 12? He said, They that believe on me, he said, The works that I do, he shall do also. And he now said, Greater works than this shall he do because I go to the Father. Now, you will not understand what Jesus is saying there until you read John 21 25. The Bible said, Of all that Jesus did, he said, These ones were written so that you will believe. He said, If everything Jesus did were written, he said, There's no volume of book in the world that can contain it. And then scriptures don't exaggerate. And the last time I checked, even the library in the university I graduated from has quite some volume of books. And my university library is not the biggest in Nigeria. It's not the biggest in Africa. And it's not the biggest in the world. So the question I'm asking myself is, the person writing this, did he have an understanding of how many books and how many volumes of books will be published in 1,000 years from when he was talking? Because... The Bible alone, they are shiploads of Bible to different nations of the world. And then there are different aspects of science alone. Only science. The science textbooks that have been printed in the world. I don't think there is any stadium that can contain it. I don't think there is any structure that can contain only the science textbooks that have been printed. In fact, there are some individuals in Africa alone here that the books that they have published alone. This room can't contain it. So whether you talk about the number of books or the volume of books, did this person have an idea how many volume of books that will be printed? The question is, who is the one who said it? Is it the man who said it that said it or is it the Holy Ghost that said it? Because the Bible said holy men spake as they were carried by the Spirit of God. So the person talking is the Holy Spirit. He knows every volume of book that will be printed in the world. And so the Bible was not attempting to exaggerate. When he said everything Jesus did, all the volumes of the books in the world can't contain it, he was telling you exactly what is. And then if everything Jesus did, there is no volume of book that can contain it. And Jesus goes further to say, what I did, you will do also. And you will do greater. What kind of life are you supposed to live? Does that not mean it's an error if anybody attempts to write your biography? Does that not mean it's an error if yourself tries to write your autobiography? Jesus wakes up miraculously, he sleeps miraculously. No book can contain what Jesus has done. And Jesus said you will do greater. 
Does that not suggest to you that Christianity is a sign and a wonder movement? Does that not suggest to you that everything about your life you have an element of the miraculous? Does that not suggest to you that even your natural life should be miraculous? If you will attempt to do only what Jesus did, let alone doing more. So there is something we have not understood. When we were born again and were discipled, we were taught that what we were invited into was a religion. When Jesus wanted to commission his disciples, there was one word and one emphasis he brought. Mark 16, 17. He didn't say this knowledge will follow them. He didn't say this message will follow them. He said, these signs shall follow them that believe. These signs shall follow them that believe. So, what you know a Christian for is the wonder that follow him. What you know a Christian for is the signs that follow him. If you are a Christian and you are barren of signs and wonders, then you don't know what Christianity is about. Jesus said a Christian should be known by signs and by wonders. And he gave us five basic signs. And I call them basic because this is what everybody should have. But you have the liberty to advance it. He said, in my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. Go further. He said, if they shall drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. He said, if they shall lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. And he said, if they shall step upon scorpions and serpents, it shall not hurt them. So these are basic signs that every believer should carry. That a believer becomes an impregnable fortress. That no injury that men suffers should affect him. Whether the ones that are external or the ones that are internal. There should be a wonder about his life that makes it impossible for him to become a victim. Whatsoever be the case. And just in case there is another person who is injured, he has the capacity to transmit health and vitality to that person. So he is not just impregnable to danger. He has the capacity to remedy danger that is on the lives of other people. So if he lays his hands on them, they recover. And he said he speaks a supernatural language that connects him to a supernatural dimension. And so he's not just living trapped in this world. He has a technology of connecting to realms beyond this realm. And so the life of a Christian does not begin and end with earth. And so when a Christian is proud that he went to Dubai, he doesn't know where Christians travel to. A Christian is actually supposed to be vitally connected to heaven and all of the realms that God has created. And so when we travel to Dubai, travel to London, travel to America, those are horizontal journeys. Anybody in the world can do it. You don't need to be born again to go to Dubai. You don't need to be born again to go to London. But by the time you say, I know a man many years ago, whether he was in the body or out of the body, I can't tell. But that man was carried to the third heaven. You are talking about a Christian. Because we don't only travel horizontally, we also travel vertically. It's only a Christian that can tell you there is a first heaven, there is a second heaven, and there is a third heaven. Because he has the capacity to download realities from civilizations that are yonder. That's why we are a wonder. We know what the world don't know, and we go to where the world cannot go. It's called the Christian life. 
and this is the basic. That means everybody in this room should be able to travel in the spirit. Hope you know that witches have been able to preserve their heritage. If this was a beating of witches, nobody will come here with a car. And it's not a testimony. If this was a meeting of witches, everybody will appear on their chair. And when the meeting is over, everybody will disappear. Because you are not a witch until you know how to teleport. Teleport. Teleporting is a normal means of transportation in the witch coast. But we have Christianity here where we are still quoting Philip was carried by the spirit from, uh, from Samaria to the wilderness. From the wilderness to Asoto. And when we want to talk by location, we go and call Enoch. We go and call Elijah. We go and call Philip. A time must come when you tell the person, I will be with you by 2 a.m. And when it is 2 a.m., you are there. That's Christianity. And that is basic. That's basic. See, you, are, you won't be troubled. When the world is insulting us, please don't fight them. They know what they are saying. We have made so many claims that we can't prove. You come and quote the Bible, you tell them the Holy Ghost carried Philip. They are asking you the question Is this peculiar to Philip or your Holy Ghost? Has he gone? Why is it that everything you talk about God, you bring it from the Bible? Is your, is your belief system all about a book? Or you have the capacity to demonstrate what you are talking about? You are telling me that Jesus healed. Is it that your Jesus healed 100 years ago and is no longer healing? If your Jesus healed, here is a cancer patient. Here is a diabetes patient. If you want to prove to me that Jesus healed, thank God you have read the verse, but there is a sick man here. If either your verse jumps out and heals that sick person, or do something about it, or shut up. That's what the word is saying. They say if they lay hands on the sick, the sick shall not shall recover. Jesus gave us beyond Bible. The Bible is a document to prove to you that what you have been invited into is verifiable. But your life must become a testimony. And you know what the apostles did? Why do you think when the moment Jesus resurrected, the next book is not called the writings of the apostles? It's not called the speakings of the apostles. The next book is called the Acts. The Acts of the Apostles. Before we preach, we must demonstrate the Acts of the Apostles. The wonders of the Apostles. The miracles of the Apostles. The signs of the Apostles. And do you know what the Apostles were doing? The basic things that Jesus said every believer should do. They carried it and they started modifying it. Jesus said, you shall lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. And Peter said, laying hands is kindergarten. The Bible said in Acts 5.15, it said when Peter came out of the place of prayer, they laid everybody that was sick on the road, that the shadow of Peter may touch them. And he said, everyone touched by the shadow of Peter was cleansed of whatsoever. We are still doing doctrine of laying on of hands. When even the first generation church advanced the technology from lay hands to lay shadow. And Paul said, even shadow is a limitation. Because you will need my shadow if I'm present. You will need my shadow if the sun is out. What if there is no sun and what if I'm not around? Paul now went to the handkerchief technology. He said, handkerchiefs and aprons were taken from the body of Paul. So I don't need to be there. The sun don't need to appear. Anything you carry from me carries virtue.
the robot has sufficient competence to function for a while without the intervention of the designer. The excellency and the intelligence and the glory and the prowess of a designer is not in his everyday supervision. It's actually the ability of what he has created to reflect his will even in his absence. That becomes the sign that the one who designed knows what he's doing. But religion has reduced us to think that the excellency and glory of God is that when there is anything, God, where are you? And he shows up. He does it and go back. Then what God designed is not good enough. Imagine if you bought a robot and the robot wants to carry load that he was made to carry and the owner will have to come before the robot carries the load. Who designs like that? You want to pray for the sick. You say, oh God, come and intervene. You want to decree and help people come out of poverty. You say, oh God, come and intervene. You come for a service where you should bless people. You say, oh God, come and intervene. So God has to come for everything for you to perform. That's not what God designed. There are certain things God has installed in us that makes us able to stand and to represent Him. The only thing we send to Him is glory, is honor, is praise, is thanksgiving. Father, this thing you put in me is working. I went out, I have seen some results. Let your name be glorified. Father, this thing you said is true. I went out, I did it, and it worked. Let your name be magnified. It's not God coming every day to supervise because we want to lay hands on a headache. But somebody that has a headache, there is something in you that you have not realized. For you to walk in wonder, you must understand what you were given. And there are four things I'll talk about briefly. Number one is the Holy Spirit. Number two is eternal life. Number three is the gift of righteousness. And number four is faith. If you understand these four things alone and how they work, your life will become a wonder. I won't have time to talk much about the Holy Spirit because that's a syllabus of its own. It's a series. It will take a lifetime to exhaust the operation of the Holy Spirit. But let me attempt to explain eternal life, righteousness, and faith to help you know that there's something God has put in you to change your world. There's something God has put in you to make you a sign and a wonder. And I'll try to be very brief because of our time. So let me begin with eternal life. John chapter 3 verse 15. Yeah, yeah. John 3, 15 and 16. It said that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have eternal life. And in verse 16, it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When you read that scripture, it looks like reputation. 
The first time, he called it eternal life. The second time, he called it everlasting life. And when you study that scripture, you'll discover that both of them are there to achieve one purpose. To stop you from perishing. So both eternal life stops you from perishing. Everlasting life stops you from perishing. And they are using one as a qualitative term. They are using the other one as a quantitative term. When you see everlasting life, it suggests to you a life that will never end. And so the idea is that when you believe in Jesus and accept Jesus, something happens to you. When this world ends and men, ordinary men, who don't have this life, are perishing. They say you will not perish. You will live on. So for you now, death is no longer cessation of existence or an existence of pain. Because the truth is nobody will actually stop existing. The difference is that for those who don't have eternal life, their existence outside of this body will be pains and torment. But you, you will not only continue to exist, but you will exist in abundance. And so your life will not diminish, but it will continue beyond time. Now, the first one that was used is eternal life. That one speaks of qualitative life. And when this truth is taught us, it taught us that eternal life is the life of God, which is correct. Therefore, you can't be sick because God cannot be sick. You cannot die because God cannot die. So they reveal eternal life from a qualitative standpoint. How many of you have heard that before? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, some teach eternal life from the qualitative standpoint. So it's called a sickless life, a deathless life, a non-diminishing life. And that's correct. That's beautiful. Because it's the life of God. Others teach it from a quantitative perspective. These are the two scriptures that gives that 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 context and that validity that there is both qualitative aspect to it and there is both quantitative aspect to it but you see when you study eternal life in depth you will discover it's deeper than this it's deeper than the qualities that are advanced and it's also deeper than the time duration that is allocated it doesn't mean these truths are wrong but so many information is lost in transition when the world was transiting from the Hebrew word to other languages. They didn't know how to coin it. And because they didn't know how to coin it, they used two major words that can capture a bulk of the reality. On one side, they looked at qualitative factors. On another side, they looked at quantitative factors. So the life of the goat ends when the goat dies. The life of the pigeon ends when the pigeon dies. But you who have eternal life, when you die, your life does not end. And because your life does not end, even if you die, you will live again. In fact, Jesus said that in John chapter 11. That they that believe in him, they will not die. And even if they die, he said they will live again. And that's very correct. But when you study this word in context, you will discover it's deeper than these two things that they've shared. In the original word where eternal life was translated from in the Hebrew, before you get the way, is the word Chei Olam. And Chei Olam means the life of the world or the age to come. The life of the age that is to come. But you know why these men were afraid of translating it like that? 
because they have studied the Bible and they have an idea of what will happen in the age to come. In the age to come, you don't only don't fall sick. Yes, you don't fall sick. That's true. In the age to come, you don't only don't die. Yes, you don't die. But there are more realities in that age. For example, in the age to come, you travel by the whirlwind and you travel by the speed of thought. You don't travel with a car. And so when you tell people that eternal life is the life of the age to come, how do you now explain to them that the life they have now, they don't need a vehicle to travel? It may become difficult to explain what a Christian is. And so in order to keep it modest, they decided to reduce the scope of the emphasis. But when you study the Bible and you begin to see the manifestations there, you will now understand what God gave us. What God gave us is what Jesus came here with. And I'll show you some verses quickly. Let me show you some verses of scripture. Matthew 17 verse 14 and 16. See what the Bible said. It said, we are, we are in this world. It said, but we are not of this world. We live here, but we don't come from here. You know what that means? All the limitations of this world is not permitted to limit us. And apart from that, everything that is obtainable in the world where we came from, we should be able to manifest it here. These are the two full scope of eternal life. No limitation of this world should be able to stop you and then you should be able to live with the full weight, impact and import of the world where you came from. That's why the Bible said, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. When Jesus was speaking about this truth in John 8, 23, he said, I am from above. And if we have received the life of God and we are not of this world, it means we too are from above. In 1 John 4, 5, he said, we are of God. We come from God. So everything that happens now in the realm of God is what should happen to us. In fact, in Ephesians 2.19, it says you are now the citizens of the household of God. So the same way an American ambassador comes to Nigeria today, and there is no limitation in Nigeria that affects him. That is how you are an ambassador of the age to come on earth. And so no limitation of earth should stop you. Now, see the problem. When you define eternal life, from qualitative perspective, you will only explain it from the standpoint that the limitation of earth shouldn't stop you. But there will be another part that you have left out. That everything that is happening in the world where you come from now, you should manifest it here. So an American ambassador, if he's in Nigeria, he doesn't know anything about poverty. He doesn't know anything about the things Nigerians are struggling about. If Nigerians are complaining, he'll be watching them like a spectator. Do you now see why he said, A thousand shall fall by your side, ten thousand by your right hand. He shall not come near you, because you are not of this world. But you see, the blessing and the blessedness of the American ambassador is not just that the things that affect Nigerians don't affect him. It's also that even though he's living in Nigeria, there's no difference between where he's living and America that is in his country. And so he is in Nigeria, 
but he has carried America to Nigeria. And so where he lives is called an embassy. You can't enter there. When you enter that embassy, it's as good as you have entered United States of America. And so if there's no mosquito in America, he will not allow mosquito in that embassy. If there is no intimidation in America, he will not allow intimidation in that embassy. And so when God gave us his life, what God called us to do is to download heaven to earth. And so a Christian can be walking on earth, but the context of earth where he finds himself becomes an atmosphere of heaven. That is what Eden came to model. And so when you live and you carry eternal life, your life cannot but be a wonder. And this wonder is beyond sicklessness, is beyond deathlessness. It also means that what they are doing in heaven now, you will do on earth. Because they are worshipping God in heaven. You can worship God on earth. Because they are praising God in heaven. You can praise God on earth. But you see, the last time I checked the Bible, it's not only worship and praise that is going on in heaven. When an angel wants to move from one location to another, when the citizens of heaven want to move from one location to another, they don't walk there. They don't travel there. They appear there. And so we have not understood eternal life. When we understand eternal life, truly we will become a wonder to our world. Because a generation is coming that will travel if there is need to travel. But when they stop people from traveling, they can't stop them. Because they don't only travel by plane, they also travel by all that technology that is not seen. That is eternal life. Did you not read about Jesus? The Bible said Jesus went to the mountain to pray. And he said at the third watch, when he came down, there was no boat. If there is boat, Jesus will use it. But now that there is no boat, Jesus will not be stranded. You know what Jesus did? He began to walk on the water. Because where he came from, you don't need boat to travel. So the ability to walk on water is also eternal life. The ability to bilocate is also eternal life. The ability to teleport is also eternal life. And so we are not going to go out there and say, we will use cars, we will use plane. But the day that car is not available, we will still not be limited. It's called eternal life. It's the ability to live heaven on earth. Did you read about Jesus? He went to the mountain with over 5,000 people. Talked for three days and nobody was hungry. You ask yourself, what was he saying? Because even a boy that had lunch didn't eat it. I assure you, if that boy was hungry, he would have whacked the whole bread. The reason he didn't eat it is because he was not hungry. Why is that so? Jesus told us, for those of us who have eternal life, we don't speak English language alone. We don't speak Hebrew alone. We don't speak Aramaic. He said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirits and they are life. And so when he was talking, hear this. Do you know what food does? When you eat food, food is converted to energy and energy sustains life. So when Jesus is talking to you, he bycots the place of eating, he bycots the place of energy, he feeds you with life itself. And so the boy didn't need to suffer to carry the bread and chew it. What the bread would have done for him when Jesus was talking, he was feeding them with life. Only Yeshua, you forever. In your kingdom, there is no end. Unto the shoes. 
Suddenly they came back to their atmosphere and people became hungry. And Jesus told them, I'm no longer teaching. Now they will need food. He said, get them something to eat. And they said, no. They can't find anything. Jesus didn't say they will be hungry here. He said, if they are going home, they will cut down. Because they are no longer eating life. Get them something. They said, even the year's wages, it's not enough that one will have a bite. And he said, what do you have? Don't you know the realm you just came out from? They thought, ah, even if we have something, there are over 5,000 men here. And everywhere you find 5,000 men, you will find more women. And everywhere you find women, you must find children. So the number we are dealing with here is between 15,000 to 25,000. They say, what do you have? They say, okay, since you are insisting, there's a lad here with five loaves and two fish. But we don't know what that can do anyway. He said, bring it. Let me show you eternal life. In the realm of life, hear this. In the realm of life, you don't only sow and, re- and reap. There is a technology called multiplication. Hope you know that is the basic reality about life. That's why an amoeba, when an amoeba is reproducing, it divides. There's such a thing called mitosis. A device. There is multiplication. And he took the bread and thanked the Father because he operated from an ascended realm. And they said, take, go and give them. And they broke the bread. Bread will not finish. They broke bread. Bread will not finish. And when they gave them, and they were done eating, they gathered the fragments. They had 12 baskets. And so, multiplication, supernatural multiplication, is also eternal life. Eternal life is not just sicklessness. It's not just deathlessness. It's everything that exists where that life came from. It is a realm. That's why the Bible said, you are awoken to the newness of life. It's a realm. When Jesus gave us eternal life, he brought us into a realm of impossibility. It's the life of the age to come. Anything you think you cannot do, that cannot happen to you after rapture, should actually not happen to you now. And anything you can do after rapture, you should be able to do now. That's why John said, in 1 John 4, 17, he said, as he is now in glory, not before resurrection. He said, as he is now, he says, so are we in this world. How can you explain that you touch a patient of cancer and cancer dematerializes? How? You need a lot of radiation in order to kill the cell. What then is on your hand that you are not aware of? That God says, lay hands on the sick. He didn't say pray. Touch them. Whether it is cancer or tuberculosis or diabetes or hepatitis, he said, touch them. There is a force coming out of you that you are not aware of. It's called eternal life. You have been brought into a world. You are in the world, but you are no longer of the world. The life you have now came from a realm. And if truly you have that right life, that realm will follow you. So what we call signs and wonders is the atmosphere and the possibility of a realm. 
that eternal life has brought us access into. And so everybody who has eternal life must and should manifest the supernatural naturally. But the reason we are not is because we don't understand what we have. We think what we have is an invitation into a church. We think what we have is participation in a religious group. No. What we have is the life of a civilization. It's a life of a king that rules a world. And because we have that life now, what happens in that world naturally happens to us. And that's why I said the supernatural is now your natural. Is it supernatural for you to walk? If you don't walk, you are sick. Why is it natural for you to walk on two, on two legs? Because men walk on two legs. If a baboon sees you, or if a dog sees you, hope you know this is a heavy miracle in the world of the dogs. Because the life that powers the dog insists that they must walk on four legs. So when a dog sees you running on two legs, that's a terrible miracle. And if there's any dog who can walk on two legs for five minutes, that dog becomes a spectacle. Because that's a miracle in his world. Why is this so difficult for a dog to walk on four legs? Because on two legs. Because walking on two legs is not given to his life form. The life you have now is a life of a civilization. And the God that rules that civilization, that's the same life that powers it. And so beyond sicklessness, deathlessness, everything that happens in that civilization, you have the power now to manifest it. The problem is that you don't know what you have. The day Christians begin to understand eternal life will become a wonder. Some will become specialties of, of, of healing and restoration. Others will become specialists and specialized in supernatural manifestations. Others will become specialists in downloading things from heaven because you will discover that the portal is open. Life makes a portal available to you. You download what you want. You download what you desire. And that's where faith comes into the equation. Please sit down. You know what they taught us faith is? They taught us faith is the act of believing in God. And they stop there. Faith is deeper than believing in God. And I will explain it to you. You see, the journey of faith began with Abraham. But the journey of faith did not end with Abraham. The journey of faith ended with Christ. If you study Romans chapter 4 verse 1, Paul said, What did our father Abraham, according to the flesh, found? Because he was the one who discovered the way of faith. So the journey of faith began with Abraham. And the elders followed after that order until Christ came. And so there are two dimensions of faith. There is the Abrahamic dimension of faith and there is the dimension of faith that Christ modeled. That's what you call the faith of the Son of God. Both of them are relevant in our lives today. And I will tell you why they are relevant. Without the Abrahamic faith, you cannot be introduced into the economy of salvation. And if you are not introduced into the economy of salvation, you cannot receive the faith of Christ. And so we begin with the Abrahamic faith, but ultimately we end with the faith of the Son of God. In the Abrahamic order of faith, you believe in God so that God will intervene. And I tell you, until the end of our journey, 
we will keep walking like that. The Bible said Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. It said they staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief. He was strong in faith, giving thanks to God. So the Abrahamic order of faith is to put your trust in God. Every believer must have that faith and must begin from there. But when you come into Christ, you discover another higher realm of faith. And that's why I was explaining to you about the designer of a robot. When the robot designer designs the robot, he expects that once in a while, you will call him to come and intervene. Because the robot can break down, the robot can be overworked, and the programming can go wrong. So once in a while, you will need to call on the designer to come and intervene. But the designer does not expect you to call him every day. Because there is something the designer put inside the robot that makes the robot able to represent him without him necessarily come there, coming there. And so God does not expect us to always call him to come to the scene. There is something God has put in us that God knows is able to represent him even though he is physically absent. That when men see that, it will direct men to him. Are you following? That is the God kind of faith. Why Abraham and the fathers of old believed in God? The faith that we now receive after believing in God is not just to trust in God. The faith we now have is the God kind of faith. Is the faith of God himself. So it's just, if you operate the God kind of faith and you are looking at God to come and intervene, it's just like God wanting to do something and God is waiting on himself. Because in Romans chapter 12 verse 3, the Bible said, Unto every one of us, he dealt the measure of faith. And Peter called it the God kind of faith. Paul called it the faith of the Son of God. What is the faith of the Son of God? The faith of the Son of God is not just your ability to trust in God. The faith of the Son of God is your awareness that everything you need for life and godliness is already in you. So you don't look up to God to answer anymore. You confront the mountain because when you come, God comes. When you show up, God shows up. When you speak, God speaks. So you are not waiting on God to come and intervene. When you come, you become the embodiment of God's intervention. And that was the faith Jesus taught in Mark 11. If they have the God kind of faith from Mark 11, 22, he said when you are confronted with a mountain, he said don't trust in God. Don't call upon the name of the Lord. Don't invite God into the scene. He said, when you are confronted with a mountain, believe that there is something in you that can move that mountain. He said, so what do you do? Don't call on God into the matter. He said, you speak to the mountain. Tell the mountain, be thou removed. Be thou cast away. And if you do not doubt in your heart, he said, you shall have whatsoever you say. And so in the journey of faith, we begin by trusting in God and we will keep trusting in God. But as we grow in faith, we keep coming to a level where the God that is on our inside also begins to manifest. And so when we are confronted with an issue, we don't say, Lord, show up. We tell that issue, get out. Because we have come, God has come. When we manifest, that is God's intervention. And so when there is a crisis, if you step into the crisis, God has stepped into the crisis. You know why? Because at this level of faith, you and God becomes inseparable. 
you and God becomes indivisible. So when you show up, God shows up. When you speak, God speaks. When you appear, God appears. When you touch, God touch. Because you have become one with Him. It's a dimension of faith. But the reason you are able to manifest that faith is because now you have the life of God and the Spirit of God that is in you has made you one with God. It's a Him that is joined to the Lord. Is one spirit with him. See the problem we have. Religion has marginalized Christians by over exaggerating the need to call upon God. And so there are Christians who every day of their life they are calling God to intervene. They wake up, they are calling on God to intervene. They are sleeping, they are calling on God to intervene. If God needs to live here, why did Jesus go to heaven? So who has believed our report? Unto whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And he said in verse 8, Who shall declare his generation? God wants to sit in heaven. Why you go there to represent him? And so what God is looking for when you come back is praise, is honor, is thanksgiving, is exhortation. Because when he sent you there, you became his representative. Imagine if the president sends apostle salvation to this meeting. And apostle salvation now comes here. Instead of him to do what the president needs to do, he now stands there and starts leading us to pray to invite the president. The question is, why were you sent? If you need to see invite the president, then why were you sent? It's because the president doesn't want to come bodily. That's why he sent you bodily to become his bodily representation to a generation. If you know this, certain scriptures will come alive. In Luke 10, 16, he said, they hear you, they hear me. And so when people want to hear God, you start talking. Did you not read about Paul? Paul was speaking in 1 Corinthians 7. He said, concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord. God didn't speak. He said, but I have been found to be trustworthy. And he said, so I will speak on this matter. And the thing Paul said, without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, became equal with scriptures. The Bible said the scripture is the breath of God. How can a man speak without the inspiration of God And it's equivalent to scripture He understands faith That when they hear me, they hear God When I talk, God talks It's a level of maturity That believers must get into If you know that Even when you shape people, you are imparting them Impartation is not for people to kneel down And you are religiously laying your hands on them Jesus didn't tell us People must kneel down for us to lay our hands He said, touch them when you touch anybody, you have imparted the person. And so in the word of faith, there is no such thing as handshake. In the word of faith, when you shake somebody, you have imparted him. Everything about contact in the realm of faith is transmission of divine possibilities. Because when you touch them, God touches them. That's Christianity. These things, we don't understand them. That's why we do much rituals much religion and yet we have no result. He said you have made the word of God of none effect by your tradition. When you receive eternal life God fleshed himself over you. When they see you they see him. When they hear you they hear him. But what is your consciousness? What do you understand? You know what the Bible calls carnality? It's not a sin. Carnality is not a sin. To be carnally minded is not a sin. It's death. It didn't say it's a sin. You know what to be carnally minded is? To be conscious of your physical and human dimension. And not to be conscious of your divine dimension. To be conscious of the world 
that you are physically in and not to be conscious of the world where you came from. A spiritual man is a man who is conscious of his divine side more than he is conscious of his physical side. A spiritual man is a man who is conscious of the world where he came from more than the world that is living in. That's why Paul said we are pilgrims on the face of the earth. He said we are ambassadors in the earth world. We don't belong here. We were sent here for a purpose. When you start becoming spiritual, you will become more conscious of your divine side than your natural side. And that's why I was telling you yesterday, many people spend all the time on gymming, on cutting their hair, on enlarging their body part. They are carnal. They are joining in the direction of death. There's nothing wrong in looking clean and excellent. There's nothing wrong in spending time to upgrade your physique. It's necessary. But if that is where your greatest energy goes to, you are carnally minded. You say your part is death. But there's a spiritual man who knows that his hand is an instrument of healing. His voice is an instrument of divine direction. His feet is a means of bringing glad tidings. Everything about him, there's a spiritual connotation to it. That's why God's servant was sharing with us a while ago. When Ora Roberts is going for a meeting, he doesn't talk. Because he knows every word he speaks carries energy. How will he waste it? You can't call him and say, have you taken tea this morning? It's not necessary. You can't call him and say, what dress are you wearing? It's not necessary. Because I know there's something in me. When I talk, cancer should be healed. And if the same words I speak heals cancer, why should I waste it talking things that have no eternal value? And so the guy shuts up. And if you know a robot, he talks very fast when he's preaching. When he's done preaching, he carries the chair and he sits down. He says, hold my hands. If you touch him, he said, the power of God is here. There is something in his hand that defies everything that destroys men. You can never walk in the supernatural until you know what you carry. Faith is actually the awareness that the ability of God is in you and is working. It's not just trusting in God. Yes, it begins with trusting in God. But that your trust in God has brought you somewhere. It has brought you to a place where God has put his ability in you. And so faith now is your awareness, your understanding that the ability of God is in you and it is working. This does not make you independent of God. This rather makes you more grateful to God. Because God has put everything you need in you and has allowed you to manifest. My son today has my ability. But he cannot believe, he can't begin from there. Everything about my DNA is in him. But at this level, he's a child. He's here at the Abrahamic order. He needs me to wake him up. He needs me to feed him. In fact, sometimes when he sleeps for six hours, the mom will wake him up and feed him. He'll be sleeping and eating. And he will eat sleeping. He will not be aware. He will not sleep again. Because the mother knows that after six hours he will be hungry. He didn't ask for food though. But even the parents know that he depends on his parents for everything. He doesn't even know he should go to school. Three days ago we put him in school. If you, if you take him to school he will be crying. He wants to stay with his father. If I'm going out he will run and grab me. He depends on me for everything. But the day will come when he will grow up. If he doesn't get his food and he calls me, I'll say, what's wrong with you? You don't need me to give you food. Go and look for food. I'll put something on your inside. That's why sometimes when you start growing, the more you trust in God, the less answer you will get. You know why? You have grown up. 
So God expects you to start putting the ability in you to walk. You have been a Christian for 15 years. You say we are trusting God. We are believing God. What is that? That's a language for babes. Imagine if my son becomes 30 years old and then he will now come here and say, Dad, I need lunch. Are you okay? If you need lunch, go and walk with your hand. Make money and eat lunch. What is lunch? Hey, Dad, I need clothes. What do you mean by clothes? They sell clothes in the market. Take your money, go and buy. I put something in you. When it's a child, if he needs clothes, I will provide. If he needs food, I will provide. So it will be right for him to trust me, to depend on me. But when he grows up, I now trust him. I depend on him to use the ability that I put on his life. I'm showing you why Christians are not walking in the supernatural. Religiously, it looks very pious. We are trusting God. We are believing in God. Somebody is demon possessed. You say we are trusting God for deliverance. Trusting with God. They say in my name, cast out devils. You are there trusting God. Somebody is sick. You say we are trusting God for his healing. Trusting with God. He say lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. Pious. Religious. Sanctimonious. But powerless. Powerless. If my son is 25 and is trusting me for food, he will die. If my son is 30 and is trusting me for clothes, he will be naked. Because I didn't raise the vagabond. By the time he is 19, I expect him to start taking certain responsibility. It doesn't mean he's rebellious. It doesn't mean he's independent. It actually means I have raised him. That's why I said, a point come, you'll stop being in appeals, you become a hero. Stop trusting God for demons to go, cast them out. Stop trusting God for the sick to be healed. Lay hands on them, let them be healed. That's what he told you. And if you are laying hands on them and they are not being healed, it means the power at work in you, you are irresponsible towards it. Are you seeing the answer now? The power is already in you. If you don't want to rely on him again, then you have to walk that power. He said, God is now able to do, when you mature in faith, he said, God is now able to do, exceeding abundantly, above all you ask or think. So don't ask, don't think again. It's according to the power at work in you. And so many Christians are irresponsible towards the power at work in them, and then they want to hide their irresponsibility by religiously trusting in God. And God is telling them, when you grow, there's a power at work in you. Get it to work. That's Christianity. Are you following? There's a power at work in you. That power is not working. When you start growing, you will discover your manifestation will not reflect God's intervention. It will reflect the shape of your consecration. When you are a child, your manifestation will reflect God's intervention. But when you mature, your manifestation will start reflecting the shape of your consecration. Because now God expects you not to trust Him. God expects you to put to work what is in you. Does that mean we'll stop trusting God? No. We started from there. That's our foundation. But we are growing in God. That's faith. So if you are not walking in signs and wonders, you don't know what you have. 
the second thing that makes for the working of signs and wonders is to believe what you have. And so the reason many will never graduate from relying on God for everything and putting to work is because they don't believe it. If I tell you now, God wants to hit deaf ears. I call somebody who is deaf. Is there anybody here that has a challenge with his ear? You have a challenge, maybe there's a pain or you can't hear with one of your ears or something is wrong. Is there anybody like that? These are like the basics of the supernatural. Is there anybody here like that? Okay, is there anybody here with a pain? Maybe on the leg you can't walk or something. You have a pain somewhere. Come. Let me show you something. This life that I have is how many of you are sure God will heal him now. Now, see something. If you believe God can heal him now, you come and pray for him. Wait, wait, don't, I don't need chaos. I know some people are, are angry now. It's aggression. It's aggression. Christianity is not zeal. It's not zeal. This is modern day Christianity. When you say God raises the dead, everybody says, Yes, I believe. Then somebody dies. You say, Go and pray for him. You will suddenly discover that they were taught how to respond. That's religion. They actually don't believe. You know why they don't believe? They have not grown from the childish and irresponsible realm of faith. Of putting all the responsibility on God. When you grow, you start taking divine responsibilities. That's why he put power in you. That's why he gave you faith. That's why the Holy Ghost is there. Many have not grown to that level. And so you find one million people trusting God for what God told them to do. The Osborne said there are three prayers God never answers. Asking him to do what he told you to do, he will never answer. Unless you are a baby. Everything God tells you to do, if you ask him to do it, he will never do it. Number two, if they asking God for something in unbelief, he will never respond. Many Christians have become so irresponsible in the name that they are trusting God. He looks pious, he looks humble, he looks broken, but it's irresponsible Christianity. Do you know I'm not supposed to pray for this brother? Do you know I'm only supposed to touch it and the pain is gone? It doesn't matter if the bone is broken. But today, we use English to handle spiritual things. The monarch of heaven. The supreme one. Stretch forth your finger of power. And cause that this anomaly will be corrected. And you're finished speaking, nothing happened. He didn't say waste your time praying. He said if you lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. Whether I touch the air or I touch his head, it doesn't matter. The sensitivity of the anointing can trace where the problem is. But here's the problem. The moment I see a challenge, I start doubting what I have. Do you know why you doubt what you have? You have an exalted honor for the enemy. You think what the enemy is doing is superior to what Jesus has done or what Jesus has said. And so the moment you see a problem, you exalt the problem and you paralyze what God has put in you. But the supernatural life is such that when you see problem, that's when you are intoxicated. Problems you are waking you to your reality. When they say a demon is here, you say in my territory, 
How did he come here? My God, whose demon has that audacity? Akore, Kekako, Aziatu, Atwa, Azeze, Kayana. That's when you turn. And when demons know that you are aware, they avoid your region. How can you demonstrate God if there is a problem and you can't do anything about it? We gather a lot of people and there's no supernatural element. Who believes this thing can be healed now? I don't want a pastor. <laughs> so that man on Gene, come. I suspect you have never prayed for the sick. Come. Let me show you something. Let me show you something. Because of what he has heard, hear this, his faith has come alive. But you see, for the faith to remain alive, there is a consecration that the faith will put on him. If he leaves this meeting now, because of this faith that has come alive, the faith will start insisting he will need to start fasting. The faith will start insisting he will need to start studying the world. Because the moment life appears, life comes with hunger. There is no form of life that does not make demand to be fed. And so he has heard this message. It has awoken his faith. But that faith will start placing a demand on him. Now he can pray with this person. He will be healed. But if he doesn't feed that faith. After a while the faith will go dormant again. Come. Hear this. Nobody is special. All of us are special. Because it's the same thing he gave us all. The only difference between the fivefold and the believer is that he equips the fivefold to mentor the believer. But when it has to do with manifestation, he said, This sign shall follow them that believe. He said, This leg is paining him. Hold the leg and command the pains to go in the name of Jesus. Be very bold, be very sure, be very confident, and don't talk to him. Talk to the pain. Command the pain to go now in the name of Jesus. You know what the guy was doing? He became creative. He was doing like this. So when you now see Pastor Chris do like this, it, when you when you master it, you are, you now have the liberty for creativity. Because when you are sure, anything you do works. How do you feel, brother? You feel better. How is the, how is the pain? So how do you feel now? It's a little there. Now, see what's happening. He touched him and the pain has gone down. You know why? Now faith has awoken. But power is in levels. So here, here. Now that you are aware what you have, now that you believe it, then you enter the third realm. You engage it. You know how you engage it? Through prayer. You engage it through meditation. You engage it through fasting. Because see, current may be flowing, but not every wire can carry every current. There is a normal cable that carries 2.5 volts and there is a high tension wire. It's as you engage that the capacity increases. That the authority increases. That the, okay, let me, Apostle Salvation, please come. Let's see voltage. 
Sir, help that brother. My God, my God, my God. Hear this. Are you seeing that this time hands are laid before he went to another power? Voltage is different. But it's not because somebody is an apostle, it's engagement. The Bible said in Jeremiah 33 3, it said, Ask of me, and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not of. It said, Until I come. Give attendance to reading, to meditation, and to doctrine. It says, give yourself wholly to these things, that your property may be made manifest to all. Every one of us here has the power to raise the dead. The ones who are raising the dead, they don't just understand that they have the power. They don't just believe it. They have engaged the power to a level where the power can produce that result. How do you feel, brother? You are better. The pain is gone. You see that the more energy comes into him, the more it diminishes. The more it diminishes. Because these things is that it shall follow everyone that believes. Not few people. Not special people. Everyone that believes. There is a power. I was teaching this thing in a worry. And I called one lady randomly from the auditorium. A brother could not hear well with his right ear. And I said, after teaching, I said, who wants to pray for the deaf? They ran out. I said, okay, you, the lady, come. You know what the lady did? She went to the ear and said, the father! She moved from English to Greek. A father! And she blew into the ear. Somebody that has never prayed for the deaf. Suddenly, so faith came alive. Some of you hearing me now, if, they, if you see a mountain, you can command it. Faith has come alive. Eternal life has energized. But you see, you have to engage it. As you leave this conference, that life will now start putting a law on your spirit. For some, it will say worship. For some, it will say prayer. For some, it will say meditation. If you give yourself to it, the miraculous will become normal to you. And then when you engage it long enough, then the Holy Ghost will give you a marching order. He will say, go out. Go to Guru. Go here. Go there. And everywhere you go, wonders begins to follow you. That's how you walk in the supernatural. You understand what you have been given. You believe what you have been given. You engage what has been given to you. And then you step out to deliver that which has been given to you. If you are able to follow this programming, there is no way you will not live a life of wonder. Lift your hands toward heaven. If you were blessed by this message you just listened to, and you wish to make Jesus your Lord and personal Savior, kindly repeat the prayer after me. 
dear Heavenly Father, I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, and that he died for my sins and was raised from the dead for my justification. I therefore confess with my mouth that Jesus is the Lord of my life. I receive eternal life into my spirit. I am born again. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just said this prayers, please send us an email at info at encounterjesusministry.org or info.ejmi.ng at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at www.encounterjesusministry.org.